This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good afternoon. Have you been saving enough for retirement? What about your kids? Is expanding the Canada Pension Plan the solution? A new poll shows most Canadians think so, and finance ministers are meeting in Vancouver today to try to hammer out a deal on this very subject. The Liberals are in favour, but reforming the CPP is actually tougher than changing the Constitution. Seven provinces have to agree, and Ontario is set to move on its own if there is no deal. An Ontario-only deal would be way more expensive and cumbersome and difficult to administer. And meanwhile, businesses are screaming that the increased contributions will kill them. By the way, this plan wouldn't help Zoomers. No, not really for people of our generation, but it would be there to benefit their kids and grandkids. I want to hear your thoughts on this. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Do you think we should go ahead with this? Is this a necessary thing? We know that fewer and fewer people are getting pensions in the workplace. It's really hard to save. People aren't getting big salary increases, but costs are keep going up. And CARP has been advocating for the right kind of additional pension. And I'm here with Wade Pajamka, the Director of Policy and Litigation. Uh, welcome, Wade. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Libby. Well, uh, what uh, what is your take on all of this? And what what is your take on the chances that there would be a national agreement today or sometime soon? Um, well, I think I think something has to happen. Uh, Canadians are not saving enough for retirement. Um, that's clear. And, um, you know, the CPP is, is the best way to, to provide some retirement security for Canadians. So something has to happen. I don't think it'll be today, but hopefully it'll be sometime this year. There'll be some framework in place at the federal level. Okay, let's let's go over the numbers to give people a bit of an idea. And I, I'm sure that a lot of people out there are collecting CPP, so they, they kind of understand. Under the current CPP, employers and employees each contribute uh, 4.95% on their income between 3500 and and half. sorry, just under $55,000. So that means the maximum insurable earnings... Uh, are that, and the maximum benefit is $13,110, and everybody knows that that does not go very far these days. And for people who earn more than $55,000, none of that additional money is insured is, is insured at all. Uh, so the Ontario version of the plan uh, would require another 2%, 1.9% contributions from both employees and employers. And that would give people, when it's all phased in, an extra almost $13,000, right? Yeah, that's right. So the CPP is designed to um, provide Canadians with 25% of their pre-retirement income, up to a maximum. The ORPP is suggesting that it's going to increase that from 
to 40% from the 25%. But it's only 40% at a certain, certain income threshold. I mean, basically, I, I believe what people have found is that low-income people are, are reasonably well taken care of in terms of their income replacement because people say you need 50 to 70% of your pre-retirement income to maintain your standard of living. But it's people in the middle that are suffering because they can't save that much, they're not eligible for pensions, and they just aren't going to have enough money. Yeah, that's right. A, a recent study uh, showed that the median value for retirement assets for people between the ages of 55 and 64 is just over $3,000. And that's without a workplace pension. So what do you mean? That's all they have? That's all they have saved. So they're coming into retirement shortly. All they have is $3,000, no workplace pension, just a CPP. That is profoundly scary. Yeah. That's a median. So, so that means some people have less than that and some people have more than that. Yeah, that's right. 32% have less than $1,000 in retirement savings that in is, that age range. You know what? I, I had not seen those numbers before, and I find that profoundly scary. I'm assuming that a lot of people, those people would be low-income people who would be eligible for, for uh, guaranteed income supplements and, and things like that. Yeah, I'd assume that's the case as well. The, the people on the bottom are protected by the guaranteed income supplement in old age security. What are the reasons that people cite for not being able to save money? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know the reasons that they cite, but one of the issues that, that is uh, facing re- people nearing retirement age and retirees is uh, the lack of investor protection. So people put their money into uh, different investment bodies, the RSP, or they choose stocks and they, they trust their financial advisors and uh, they're being led astray. So that's a growing problem for retirees as well, which, which contributes to this problem that we're talking about today. Well, we know that uh, you know the returns on so-called safe investments are nearly nothing at the moment. And uh, another issue with RRSPs when you have money that's managed is the fees. If, you know, if, if you're lucky enough to make money, the fees eat up a huge amount of it. Yeah, there's extensive administrative fees, and, and many retirees don't know what they are. They're hidden as well, so that's a problem. Okay, and the other thing is, you know, you're talking about people who are on the cusp of retirement, but really this plan would not be there to help them because, uh, you know, you're going to end up with just a few years of contributions and uh, the way both CPP and this plan would be structured is that the, you fund your own retirement. So, you know, if you, if you contribute for a few years, that's all you're going to pull out. Yeah, that's right. It's relatively minimal. It's for people who will be contributing for the next 30 or 40 years into the future, um, which is somewhat novel for our members that they feel so strongly about this issue. Uh, they're really thinking about their children and their grandchildren. Well, yeah, it is. I was saying Zoomers are pretty altruistic because uh, they are willing to be putting in more of their own money so that their kids might have it better. And, and another thing that we know, and again, callers, I'd like to hear more of your views on this, is that income, uh, so employment is less stable. People go from contract to contract, and, and certainly a job with a pension is, you know, uh, you know is, is, is getting rarer and rarer. And when there is a pension, it's a defined contribution, not defined benefit, which means you don't know what you're going to pull out. Yeah, that's right. Two-thirds of Canadians don't have access to a private pension plan at all, right? So yeah. it, and it's a growing problem. The number's growing. Well, I think for millennials, that number is actually three-quarters. Um, yeah, that's right. 
So um, I'm going to give the numbers out again, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And we want to hear what you think on the pension situation and what you're hoping, if anything, will come out of Vancouver. Uh, The politics on this, so Ontario has said it would go it alone if there's no deal. Uh, You need seven provinces to agree. Quebec uh, is saying not so fast. They don't feel that this is necessary in any hurry. And uh, one of the things I want to get to you, Wade, is this, is, is if Ontario goes it alone, that will be hugely more expensive. Can you explain that a bit? Yeah, so with any pension plan, including a public pension plan, there's administration fees um, that are attached. It's almost like a double bureaucracy. If you were to um, give the same benefits to Canadians at a, at a federal level through the Canada Pension Plan, um, you'd be putting more money into Canadians' pockets because there'd be lower investment costs. When If Ontario goes it alone, they're going to have their own set of administration fees, which are going to take out um, the value for, for people in that plan. So, you know, the preferred alternative, I think, for, for all Canadians would be a, a universal enhancement of the CPP and not one province going out on their own to take the lead on this. Okay, well, it's, so there's there's the whole factor of administration. And we are uh, going to have uh, Dan Kelly on in a, in a few minutes from the Canadian Federation of, of Independent Business. But, you know, if you think about it, for businesses that are national businesses, right, they're going to have one kind of pension in Ontario and something different or non-existent in the rest of the country, it makes the very, very cumbersome. Um, I want to get more into the added cost of going it alone, but uh, let's go to the phones. Right now we have Ralph and Barry. Hi, Ralph. Good morning. Uh, good afternoon. Yes. How are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. Yeah, I think my comment is just that I think the Conservative Party is on the wrong side of history on this uh, same as they were with the mandatory long-form census. Uh, you know, it's, it's obvious uh, there's very few uh, private sector pensions uh, compared to 20 years ago. And uh, the thing is, the Canada Pension has done uh, extremely well, thanks, I think. To exactly. Walmart. And uh, they've, they've earned an extra $171 billion over the last 10 years, I believe. And... Um, if they would uh, uh, cancel this stupid uh, uh, thing with the um, change in the age, uh, leave it where Harper had put it, brought it up, as it's got to be. When Pearson brought that in, people weren't lucky to live to 72. Now they're living to 82. Well, I mean, that's a whole other discussion, and that was, uh, I think, a a very successful election promise for the Liberals. But um, about... uh, raising the age or lowering the age of eligibility. Uh, but but let's move to this uh, this additional supplementary pension. Are you in favor of it? Are you willing, I don't know if you're still working, to be paying uh, those premiums out? No, I'm not working anymore, but I'm in, in favor of it uh, because there's only uh, one taxpayer. You, when you say the age doesn't matter, well, somebody's got to pay those benefits, and then when you have to pay more out, there's less for everybody else. And the uh, uh, thing is, if you can uh, reduce the number of people you pay for a, a shorter period of time, uh, there would be more benefits even now. The, the, like I say there's an extra $171 billion. There. Oh, you mean you're talking, you're, you're back to the age thing. Well, I'm just saying it's part and parcel. You cannot separate that. That's, uh, 
people talking about getting extra money in from their pensions, well, that's that's one way. But when you add an extra two years of payments, that's a lot of money. Exactly. I'm just saying that that is not on the table at the moment. Uh, the Liberals reversed that. They put the age of, abil- of eligibility back to 65. What they're talking about now is a supplementary pension. So the, that's what that's what I'd like to hear what, what PM, and you're in favor of it, right? Well, you know, yeah, I just wish the Conservative Party would take a look at it and, and, and back off. I think they should help bring this about. Uh, uh, for the long-term benefits, uh, you know. Well, they're 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 um, the Liberals have a majority. What 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 uh, what the help that's needed now is from the provinces. Um, uh, so we just need seven provinces to agree. Anyway, Ralph, uh, thank you very much for your call. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. All right, Al in Brantford. Hi, Al. Hi, Gary. Listen. It wasn't Pearson who came up with the Canada Pension Plan. It was Diefenbaker. Right. And Diefenbaker's plan was that what you put in, you would get back. There would be a set minimum. And if you wanted to add, top it up, as that's up to you. If you wanted to take home less pay and pay more. That's the way the plan was set up. Pearson changed it because the Liberals at that time said it wouldn't be fair. And the exact wording is in the, in the documents up there. That for a father to finish working his life and retire making the same money as son did working. That was the Liberals verbatim almost in the legislature. But stepping aside from all that, moving ahead, about 20 years ago, I had a friend leave Montreal. He worked for the gardens up there, and his wife was just a secretary. I don't, I can't remember what job he did. Not just. That's an important job, too. Yeah, okay. But anyway, when he, when he come down to Ontario here to uh, Toronto, his extra that he was getting from the Canada, or pardon me, from the Quebec pension plan and his wife's extra she was getting there paid their two-bedroom apartment rent in Ontario. That was the difference between what the Canada pension was playing that we got in Ontario and the difference that he had built up with the QPP in his lifetime of working there. Okay, well, well, the it paid his month's rent. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 thing now with Quebec again is because in order to change the Canada Pension Plan, you need seven provinces to agree, and uh, uh, you know you obviously need the populous provinces, and it looks like there might be a disagreement between Ontario and Quebec because Quebec likes to do these things on its own. Uh, and Manning had the right words: do a referendum. It's the it's the Big businesses that don't want to pay the extra five dollars a week for the bookkeeping to deduct it and and book it. Well, you know, I, I I don't think it's just big businesses because if you look at the cost of this, and we are going to talk to uh, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business shortly because I don't have the exact numbers, but if you have a what would still be considered a small business with about 125 employees, I think the added cost of this is on the order of, of, of a hundred or a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year. And that's, that's not chump change. That's a lot of money for what is essentially still a small business. So I gather you're in favor, Al, right? Well, I, my first choice would have been to leave the plan the way Diefenbaker had planned it. Okay, if well. You, if you had a minimum of X amount of dollars, say $5 a week, you had to contribute. And if you wanted to double it to 10 or 8 or whatever, that was up to you. You reaped the benefit at the end of the line when you collected. Okay, well, that's not on the table at the moment. No, I know it isn't, but that's the way it was originally designed. And uh, they, they, you change it. They're sitting with $175 billion, and they're giving out chump change for uh, for pensions. 
right today now. Well, you're right. I think it is chump change in in terms of the uh, in in terms of uh, what it costs to live. Anyway, Al, thank you very much sure. for your call. Yeah. And uh, we're going to have to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to Dan Kelly from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And I'm here with Wade Pajamka. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Welcome back. We are talking about the finance minister's meeting in Vancouver. They're meeting to talk about expanding the Canada pension plan. And we're talking about what that will cost for you and what benefit that might give you. Uh, So basically, the Ontario government has spearheaded this, and they've said that if there is no national agreement now, they will go on their own. And businesses really don't like that because businesses are calling this a payroll tax, and they say that the added burden on employers will hurt employment and the economy. On the line, I have Dan Kelly with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Hello, Dan. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm just fine, thank you. A little worried today, of course, because this is a day where a CPP decision is likely to be made. Uh, Well, Dan, uh, I was uh, just mangling the numbers before. Uh, So give us an idea. If you're talking about what's still considered a small business, say somebody with 100 or 150 employees, uh, what added burden, what is it going to cost that business if the Ontario version of uh, an additional 1.9% of payroll tax comes in? Yeah, so uh, there again, it really does yeah. depend on the nature of the firm, the size of the business, the size of the wage level of the employees. However, it just in terms of very rough numbers, uh, we've typically said, you know, somebody that's earning around $50,000 a year under the ORPP will pay approximately $1,000 more per year in ORPP taxes. And then the business on that person would pay about a th- another $1,000 per employee. So you have 10 employees, you'd pay an extra 10 grand as, as the business on those staff. Okay, but so so if you have 100 or 200 employees, it's a pretty big bill and you know it what Absolutely is. It, you know, it depends on the business, but there are a lot of businesses that don't have very big margins. You you're absolutely right. I mean, and particularly right now with all of the additional costs uh, going up, particularly the cost of energy in Ontario going up, it is really tough. There are a lot of business owners that are just hanging on by the skin of their teeth. And and you know it's easy to say, well, it's only another buck or two a day, but I got to tell you, I've, I represent 109,000 uh, small and medium-sized businesses across the country as par- as part of CFIB. Uh, we have about 42,000 members here in Ontario. I can't tell you how many of them have told us that they are having to put their payroll on their credit cards sometimes on certain months wow. because because they don't have the dollars in the business that they're that they're having to trim staff even now. And our big worry about this, because from you know you can imagine from an employee perspective, this is talking about taking some of your money away from you for your use today to put towards your benefit in the future. From an employer perspective, it is simply an additional tax burden that you're expected to come up with. Now, uh, it has a noble cause, but I got to tell you, there's a lot of businesses that are worried not just about the income levels of, of their customers and their employees uh, 40 years from now, but they're worried about what's going on right now. And a lot of families are in the same boat. We have more pe- working people 
living in poverty, then we have seniors living in poverty. That's those are the those are the cold hard numbers. And yeah, I'm look, not suggesting for a second that we shouldn't be trying to ensure that all Canadians have a good good level of retirement. But this is not a gift. Uh, CPP expansion, ORPP here in Ontario. These are these are requirements to to set aside some more of your income and require your employer to set aside some more of your income. L- let today. me just ask you this: so we know that if Ontario goes it alone, uh, it would be a lot more expensive, a lot more cumbersome. Does does the idea of a national expansion is that more palatable to you? Well, we don't we don't like either idea, but I I do agree with the the premise of your question, and that is. The ORPP is really the worst of all scenarios. Having Ontario go it alone with the ORPP, not it does a few things. One, it makes the competitive uh, situation for Ontario businesses worse than their counterparts in the rest of Canada. Second, it creates a whole new provincial bureaucracy, a whole new system uh, for people to pay. Uh, the, they have negotiated that the federal government will collect the ORPP taxes, but somebody's still going to have to invest it. And I have to tell you, if you look at the scandal after scandal from from this government that we have in, at Queen's Park right now, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not terribly confident that those dollars are going to be there. We've already heard Kathleen Wynne talk about the ORPP, one of the benefits of the ORPP being that they can invest those dollars into infrastructure. Well, you know, when Paul Martin had to fix CPP uh, about 15 years ago, the main reason that the CPP, one of the main reasons the CPP was, was in terrible shape is they had lent out the money to provinces to do things like invest into infrastructure with virtually no rates of return. And these are pay people's pension dollars. We can't have governments go off and use them as economic development tools. These have to be there when they choose to retire. Well, and, I, I, and that's, I, our big, that's one of our big worries about the RPP. The CPP, on, uh, you know, I, I will say this, it does seem that the investment strategies are at least decent, and we have uh, previous governments to, uh, to thank for, for making that happen. Okay, Dan Kelly, thank you so much for giving us your perspective. We have uh, 22 seconds left. I'm going to give that to Wade Pajamka. Uh, just to wrap things up, and uh, thank you both very much. Thank you, Libby. Um, so I don't buy into the whole it's going to affect job growth argument. If you uh, look back from 1997 to 2003, there was an increase from 5.8% to 9.9% of the CPP uh, rate, and empl- the employment rate over that period rose steadily. So I, I don't think that there's any kind of objective evidence to support that there's going to be a, a, a huge hit to jobs um, through an enhancement. Uh-huh, but you still think that it's a much better idea nationally, correct? I do think it's a better idea nationally for all Canadians. Okay, Wade Pajamka from CARP. Thank you very much. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.